Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabewalkons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Max Creek Winery and Brewery in Lexington, Nebraska. We'll share our thoughts on the Nebraska-Oklahoma game and turn the page to Mel Tucker and the Michigan State Spartans. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. Well, here we are for episode 10. We are currently recording in my garage. We so made it to double digits? We did. Wow, we, I didn't realize we were that deep. We're in That's the double awesome. digi club. All right. We are in my garage, so if you hear my neighbor mowing the lawn, who rarely mows his lawn but chose to do so <laughs> right at this moment, please forgive us. We've also got a fan because it's about 90 degrees outside, so we're just trying to keep ourselves cool while we uh, have a couple of buds sipping suds and talking ball, as Drew said, before we started recording. But we have a couple of pieces of housekeeping before we dive into Max Creek Winery and Brewery and start sipping on some brewskis. Yeah, we do. Uh, we forgot to do a giveaway last week. So as an apology, we are going to give away a $20 Husker Hounds gift card this week. All you'll have to do to enter is email us at wannabewalkons at gmail.com with what gear you would use this gift card on. We will do our season-long giveaway entry at the end of the show like normal, and you can send both answers in one email. Now, I don't want to point any, any fingers, but one of us is responsible for making sure we include the giveaway. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's the person who writes the outline, which last time I checked, that was you. I, I hope all of our listeners can forgive me for my misdeeds. When I wrote last week's outline, I was just shooting from the hip, and I forgot to include the giveaway. I got cocky. I, I thought I had it all in there. Okay, calm down, Icarus. The sun will still rise. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective in reference to Greek mythology as it pertains to my emotional overreaction. (laughs) So uh, what's our other piece of housekeeping? It's a shout out. Thank you to our friend, listener, and fellow Twitter enthusiast, Kel the Coach. We sent Kel a pint glass and he returned the favor with a beautiful handmade wannabe walk-ons wooden sign. He cut out and painted our logo and laid it on a torched wood background reminiscent of the Japanese finish known as Shosugiban. It was a lovely gesture, and we were absolutely blown away. So thank you, Kel. You can help us thank Kel by following him on Twitter at the Han Solo of Zen. You can see a picture of his badass work on our Instagram at wannabe walk-ons. 
Yeah, Kel, I was absolutely blown away by that gesture and, and just the craftsmanship and, and how cool yeah, um, we, that is. We can't wait to use it in like promotional photos and uh, keep it around so that we can keep using it to, to hype our stuff up. So Yeah, word on the streets, Ben Ben is sleeping with it. He's got it. He's cuddling it up yeah. every night. So. Well, word, the word's out. Worst kept secret in <laughs> in Nebraska podcasts is uh-huh. I, I sleep with wood. <laughs> Thank you, Kel. Thanks for providing that wood. Thanks, Kel. All right, so now we're going to drink. All right. Nebraska's Mac... <laughs> Let's talk about Lexington, Nebraska's Max Creek Winery and Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's talk about Lexington, Nebraska's <laughs> Max Creek Winery and Brewery. First things first, a couple of weeks ago, I took a random Thursday off to drive up and down Interstate I-80, stopping at as many breweries as I could to purchase Nebraska craft beer for our podcast. When I arrived at Max Creek, I was completely at peace. This winery brewery is nestled off Back County Gravel Roads in Lexington, hidden by a well-matured tree line. Not having done much research prior to my visit, other than do they have beer, do they can their beer, and when do they open, I was not expecting a full-blown grape-growing operation. Max Creek is a serene vineyard tucked away in central Nebraska. An aged silo stands like a sentinel over the vineyard, and an old tractor was nestled into the brush. As it was the middle of the week and right when they opened, I had all of Max Creek to myself and was able to take in the beauty and the calm of their property. Had I not been on a beer mission, this would have been the perfect place to sit on their patio with a good book and a great beer while I let the day pass me by. So now that I've painted that picture for you, which was beautiful, by the way. It, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it really I mean, was. I kind of want to go. Perfect. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Max Creek is owned and operated by the McFarland family. First opened its doors in Lexington in 2001. The winery brewery's name is an amalgamation of the Mac in McFarland combined with the creek in Spring Creek, which is a small stream that runs alongside the vineyard. The land around Lexington, Nebraska presents Max Creek with a unique benefit. Since the climate doesn't allow the growth of familiar wine grapes, Chardonnay, Merlot, and others that you might have heard of, Max Creek grows grapes that are bred to thrive in Nebraska. They believe it makes more sense to work with nature than against it. Because they grow grapes bred to be productive in Nebraska's extreme temperatures and short growing season, they're able to produce wines and flavors you won't find anywhere else. I have no doubt that if you've been in a grocery store or liquor store in Nebraska, you've definitely seen a bottle or two of Max Creek's wines. When doing my research, I immediately recognized Buzzard's Roost Blush. The bottle sports a cartoon vulture on the label and is Nebraska's most popular summer wine. The flavor profile is bursting with notes of kiwi, citrus, cherry, and lemonade. Max Creek is proud to operate as a sustainable winery, meaning they're constantly eliminating and minimizing the use of synthetic fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. In 2018, Max Creek Winery officially announced in the Lexington Clipper Herald that they would begin the process of brewing and serving beer on site. The McFarland family said this was the next logical step for the winery, and I just have to say, when is beer not the next logical step? <laughs> it's, it's the first step for me in a lot of situations. <laughs> it's the so. first, last, and only. <laughs> yeah. The family was quoted saying, we have so many couples that we have heard from that one really enjoys wine and one not so much, and they'd rather have a beer. By adding craft beer to their menu, the McFarland family was doing, Drew, what you and I love so much about this podcast. They're continuing to support the community and create places where people feel welcome. The McFarland's plan was to begin serving beer on January 1st, 2019. Seth McFarland, the vineyard's winemaker, would also serve as the brewmaster. The McFarland's purchased their brewing equipment from the same company in Italy where they purchased their winemaking equipment, 
And with approval and a loan from the city of Lexington, they renovated their winery to include a new bar and beer taps for multiple beers. Everything was installed, ready to begin brewing, but on December 21st, 2018, the federal government shut down Max Creek and did not receive their license to brew. Drew, you recently purchased an entire new brewing system. Can you imagine if you had purchased all your new equipment, set it up your garage, and then someone came by and just slapped you on the hand and said, you cannot use this until I say so. Mine came in a box from California. Theirs came from Italy yeah, and was hella more expensive yep. than that. So dang. Yeah, my jaw dropped when, I, when you read that. Yeah, so December 21st was their day of government shutdown mm-hmm. where the government did not give them their licenses because there was the government shutdown. Merry Christmas. Right. They were all set and ready to go to begin brewing on January 1st. And a happy new year. Right. <laughs> Dang, it's, man. It's like a kid waking up on Christmas morning and then like dad is full of eggnog from the <laughs> night before and he just stomps your presents. It's like no one gets Christmas. <laughs> oh man. Well, we're drinking their beer. So yes. something positive. Good had news to came to the McFarland family. So after three long months, Max Creek finally received all the necessary approvals from the federal, state, and local levels and began brewing. Hallelujah. And in April of 2019, Max Creek became a place where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> their initial offering included a Kolsch, Pale Ale, and English Mild, with their first IPA dropping a month later. What Seth likes most about brewing beer, in contrast to winemaking, is the ability to mix things up. He said, I'm able to change things up and experiment with new ideas. He added, the wine recipes are established and people have their favorites they don't want changed. You can find Max Creek Wine across the state of Nebraska, and their beer can be found at their tasting room in Lexington. For more information on Max Creek, you can visit maxcreek.com. It sounds like Max Creek is just like a little slice of that Nebraska heaven that you just stumble upon. Yeah. It's cool that they are working to conserve and be a positive impact on their environment and their community. I'm really glad that Seth decided to branch out into the into the beer world. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what sort of experience he had with brewing before that, or if he's just leaned entirely on his wine winemaking. I've experience. got to imagine there's a lot of similarities between winemaking and, and beer making, and there might even be some things where you kind of get a mad scientist approach where it's like, well, we do this in wine. I wonder if we can do this with beer. Yeah, and and like you said, you can you can vary things up with beer. You can really explore styles and and do something different every time. Especially if it's just your, if it's not what your your company leans on, it's, if it's not yeah. their first choice and what they're making, you can just have fun with it and play around and and see what you come up with. Customers almost expect that, right? They want you mm-hmm. to experiment. They want you to create new things. They want their old standby. They want to be able to go and have a pint of their favorite beer, but then they also want to be able to try and find something new and maybe find their new favorite beer. Yeah. So, Drew, what are we drinking from Max Creek today? All right. Yeah, we're sampling their IPA. This is just a 5% alcohol by volume IPA, and we don't have a ton of information on it. They brew beer, and you just kind of go and and find out what they have on hand, and and we came across this IPA. Mm -hmm. For me, I love IPAs. I really get get behind the bitterness of the hops, and I'm I'm enjoying this one. Yeah, it's a very hop-forward beer. It's also a very hop-ended beer. You know, you're going to taste the hop profile in this beer as it opens up and we've kind of set these in our glass and they've come up a little bit in temperature. It's opening up with a little bit more fruit and a little bit more sweetness I'm finding. But overall, if if you're looking to taste a single hop and and get a sense of what hop really tastes like, it's a really good foundational IPA to get familiar with what the standards and guidelines are going to be 
and then where it can evolve from that. Yeah. And there's, there's like a smoothness to this one too. Like the malt doesn't shine by any means in the sense that you're not going to pick out much of a flavor profile. Like it's just a backbone to support all those hops, but there is to me at least a smoothness to it that makes it, that it makes it drinkable. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're putting down a lot of bitterness, sometimes it's, it can be overwhelming, but if you can balance that bitterness with the malt like they have here, it, that's, how you, that's how you find a good beer. Absolutely. So when you get a chance, check out Max Creek. They serve the beer out of their winery in Lexington, but you can find their wine all across the state as well. It's a beautiful place, like I said, to not just hurry up and grab a beer, but take an afternoon on a beautiful day and hang out there, enjoy their patio, enjoy a charcuterie board. If you have someone who likes wine, if you have someone who likes beer, it's a beautiful place just to relax and enjoy the kind of environment and landscape Nebraska can provide. Should we talk about some football now? Yes, we should. So Nebraska faced off this past weekend against the Oklahoma Sooners, the number three ranked Oklahoma Sooners. And the Huskers came up just short with a score of 23 to 16. Drew, what are your first impressions or your overall thoughts that you want to dive into first? I'm going to, I'm going to give you a lot of words here. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read some, something to you. Okay. I'm going to cut every third <laughs> word. So make sure <laughs> it makes sense. To be like a really fun puzzle. Yeah. It's a Mad Lib about how Drew feels. Yeah. Cause it took me, okay. So it took me a while to really hammer out. How do I feel? Cause I didn't know. I felt a lot of things and they were, it was all over the map. A lot of optimism, a lot of pep, peptimism. <laughs> a lot of pepto. Yeah. I required pepto just to get through a lot of the pain. I um, went outside and I immediately mowed. I like grabbed a bush light. I went outside and I started mowing the lawn. Yeah. Cause you have to find a way to, to process. But then afterwards I emotions. felt better. Cause I was like the entire time thinking through my five-year-old tried to help me mow. Yeah. And so he was pushing the mower and I was behind him. I stepped on his feet so many times and he was like, dad, I'm done. That's like, <laughs> yeah. I made, that makes sense. <laughs> all right. So what do you have? Okay. All right. Here's what I've got. So I want, I want everyone, yourself included, Ben, to pretend like the Oklahoma game hasn't happened yet. Okay. Okay. It's minutes before kickoff and I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. You can watch one of two games. Okay. Okay. First game. The Nebraska defense holds Lincoln Riley to its, his lowest scoring output as head coach of Oklahoma and the lowest total the Sooners have put on the board since September 3 of 2016. Pressure forces Spencer Rattler to make some poor throws that Nebraska defenders get their hands on more than once. Not one single Oklahoma skill player has over 100 yards of offense. Adrian Martinez will complete over 75% of his throws, spreading the ball around so that four receivers have three or more receptions and completing six explosive passing plays of 20 yards or more. He will throw only one interception on a forced fourth down throw, but otherwise he protects the ball. Nebraska will never trail by more than two scores during the game that they are expected to lose by more than three touchdowns, and they will only trail by two scores for half a quarter of game time. Each time Oklahoma expands their lead to to these two scores, Nebraska's offense will respond with a touchdown. Connor Culp will drill a 51-yard field goal on the team's opening drive. William Pristop will start as punter, uh, only having to punt twice all day while averaging 50 yards per boot. Oklahoma's final offensive possession will begin on their own 8-yard line with 5.37 remaining and a 7-point Sooner lead. Nebraska's defense will get the ball back to the offense, and they will be on the field last, with a chance to tie or win the game. That's That's option one? Game scenario one. Okay. Sounds pretty good. Yep. Okay, here's game scenario number two. Nebraska's defense won't generate a single turnover. They won't record a single sack. They will allow Oklahoma to convert 6 of 11 third downs. Five of those third downs will be 5 yards or longer. Every drive which Oklahoma converts on third down, that drive will result in a touchdown. Oklahoma running backs will average five and a half yards per carry. 
The offensive line will have four penalties on the opening drive. Every single one of our offensive line starters will commit at least one penalty during the game. They will contribute to a two and a half yards per rush average, no runs longer than 13 yards, give up five sacks, 10 tackles for loss, and four quarterback hurries. Adrian Martinez will escape on multiple occasion, occasions or those numbers would be worse. No skill player will have over 100 yards from scrimmage. Oklahoma will score a touchdown on their opening drive and never trail again. Nebraska special teams will cause a nine-point swing and a seven-point loss through missed and blocked kicks. The blocked kick will come on a point-after touchdown with a backup kicker, per the coach's choice. On the block, a starting offensive lineman will end up on his back to allow the defensive penetration. Nebraska's offense will reach the red zone four times and get inside Oklahoma's 30 on two other occasions. The results of those six trips will be 17 points, two missed field goals, and an interception. Oklahoma's final offensive possession will begin on their own eight-yard line with 537 remaining and a seven-point sooner lead, but Nebraska's defense won't get the ball back for the offense until there's under a minute remaining. Oklahoma will flip the field so that Nebraska's final drive starts on its own 18 with zero timeouts. The final drive will be four plays, two of which are sacks. You're going to take number one, right? I'm going to take number one, but I know what you did there. Uh Uh-huh. I bet it didn't take long to figure out, but you still had to sit through it. I did. Sorry. The point is, yeah, both those games happened just together. And so for me, this is all a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. Are Are you focused on the positives? The good that we did there, hanging with the number three team on the road? Or are you looking at all those negatives, those same bugaboos mm-hmm. that, have been, that have been killing this team for, yeah. you know, however many years. Yeah, I mean, that's the similar thought that I have, right, is we played one hell of a game. It was an incredible outing, and it's better than I think we both expected Nebraska to play against Oklahoma. Yeah. I did not expect Oklahoma to be held to as few points as they were. When it came down to Nebraska's defense, they showed that Fordham and Buffalo wasn't just the level of competition Nebraska was playing. It was the ability of this defense. Enough can't be said with what kind of effort was put out on the field against Oklahoma. If you look at it just as a singular game over the first four years of Scott Frost's career, you could argue that that was the best game Nebraska played regardless of the win-loss. I think pretending to be okay with a moral victory is garbage. Agreed. This is as close to a moral victory as I'm willing to accept. It's still a loss. And what bums me out is there were so many bugaboos, as you said, that took place during the game. When if only Nebraska was executing at a higher level on certain things that should not be occurring, specifically that first drive having 20 yards of false starts, it's just so mind-boggling. Two in a row to start start the game. Mm -hmm. First and 20. What I wrote down was the offensive line play was offensive. (laughs) The lack of discipline and the ability to give Adrian a pocket with the game on the line, two of his last four plays were sacks. Yeah. And that was against a three-man rush. Yeah. One of those, it looked like he probably could have done something with and, and maybe held the ball too long. But at that point, that's just that's being not, unfair to be critical I'm of Martinez. Not gonna, yeah, I'm not going to criticize Adrian on this game because we would not, not have all. been in a situation to win the game had he not been the one playing. Yeah. So to say that out of four plays, out of however many snaps they had, one of those was an Adrian mess-up. No, because we just we wouldn't have been in a game-winning situation if he had not been our quarterback, if he had not outplayed Heisman hopeful Spencer Rattler. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I'm taking away from this game. It's, it's the same as I took away from Buffalo. Same narrative. Nebraska continues to make these mistakes, and yet we have finally reached a point where our talent and our depth and what we're able to do 
can overcome those weaknesses. We have strengths finally that overcome our weaknesses. Yeah. It's not always going to result in a win. It's not going to put all the points on the board that we should have, but we're going to be able to hang with people. We're going to be able to get some wins that we probably shouldn't. And that's, that's improvement that we wanted to see, just not the way that we expected to see it. Right. We expected the improvement to mean that we're making these forward steps and the bad stuff has been left behind, mm-hmm. but we're still making the bad mistakes, but we're making larger steps forward. Yes. Yeah. It's so, just the tipping point. It that really we've is. Reached. The other thing that I want to just put a uh-uh in is this idea that had we just made our field goals and the field goal kick hadn't been blocked, Nebraska would have won this game. Don't forget Oklahoma also missed a field goal. So if you're going to put points back on the board for Nebraska, you got to put them back on for Oklahoma. Yeah. And they have the talent to probably nine times out of 10 make those field goals. Whereas right now, nine times out of 10, we're kind of missing those. Yep. And I, and I, we'll I want to get into that when we talk about special teams, too. Sure. Well, let's start there. Let's okay. start with special right. teams. Let's do it. I want to talk about Connor Culp's first missed field goal, which was Nebraska's third drive. Okay, so prior to that kick, the O-line, they hold, hold up on third and four, and Adrian finds Levi Falk for a 20-yard gain, and, which was a great catch, right? Him Beautiful holding onto that ball was incredible. Um, so that gets him into Oklahoma territory. On the next play, Xavier Betts does this sort of end around where he goes and sets the block on the edge for Ramir Johnson. Johnson goes for nine yards, and now we're set up at second and one. And at this point, we're feeling like, cool, like things are settling down. We're, we're moving the ball. We're, we're getting these little chunk plays. We're converting when we need to. And then second and one, one guy, just one guy fails to block on the right side of that line. And that whole play collapses and Ramir Johnson has to sort of bubble out and he goes for a four yard loss those four yards if if we hadn't lost him if we just broke even on that play and then we make the incomplete pass on the on the third down and then we kick that field goal Connor Colt makes that field goal so you can't put all of this on the kicker you can't right. right this is a team sport it is a team effort there are so many plays that go into every single outcome prior to those kicks and so I, that's all I have to say about special teams is yeah it's it's a, it's suffering yeah in a big way there are some some highlights and some good stuff going on there that they've improved on but it's not entirely on one guy or one component of the team and so sorry looking out of the corner of my garage this guy literally never mows his lawn it is overgrown and so I apologize to Oh, my God. And he's going to mow right <laughs> along the side where we're talking. It's so loud. <laughs> it's really it's loud. So loud. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to shut the garage door. I think you make a great point that the field goal kicking and the field goals themselves aren't 100% on the kicker, that the team has to execute further. And I think that's a wonderful perspective to have, to remember that these guys are coming in when the offense isn't able to move the ball and they're trying to give you points. They're called field goal tries for a reason. They're not just an automatic three points, regardless of how good of a kicker you are. Burkic even missed a kick yesterday, and he's damn near as close to automatic as you can get. So I agree with you on special teams. Punting was great. Kickoff was great. Got to just keep putting our trust in our kickers to figure it out because they don't have a special teams coach to help them do it. Okay, next. <laughs> so offense or defense, where do you want to go next? Let's go to offense next. I am in the optimistic camp when cool. it comes to this this offense and I and I've pretty much said that all that I can say and, and thrown out everything that I can already we all know that the offensive line is the the weak link but the fact is is that they still are showing 
some success. They still have a defense that they can lean on when the offense is is not clicking. And if if we're one position group away, like one position group away from just all they have to do is be average. Be slightly below average. Don't be bad and we will be that much better. That reminds me of the Disney Channel original movie Brink. Oh, does it? Yeah, it okay. does. Where Andy Brinkler, the main skater, is on Team Pup and Suds and he's having a rough go of it. And his sister comes up to him and just goes, skate better. And he goes, skate better? Skate better. That's all we got to do. Skate better. And then Team Pup and Suds goes out and skates better. It worked. Yeah. Okay, so whoever the sisters are of this offensive line just need to come in and, and hit him with that. Block better? <laughs> Block better. That's all you have to do. Speaking yeah. about the offensive line, I want to call out the all-star of the offensive line yesterday, Cam Beef Jurgy Jurgens. That second penalty he got for blocking downfield was bullshit. That is what the pipeline should be. That is the type of aggression they should play with. They should finish those plays out. He's emerging as a leader on that line. And when Nebraska goes out, like when they did in the second half and they started running power and they were pushing Oklahoma, they got to do more of that. Because clearly that's where the line gels, where they can move as a unit. Cam was pulling around and hitting blocks. He was downfield. He was aggressive. And I think it's one of those things where maybe if vocally I can't be a leader, I'm going to show you what the hell you're supposed to do on the field. Yeah. And so I was very, very excited for someone like Cam who has been the ire of a lot of people with this bad snap situation. And he's had his, you know, he's been under a microscope on that front for a kid who played tight end. And then had to learn a new position and execute it at a Division One level. He's hitting his stride. And now we're seeing that athleticism that Frost was always talking about. Now we're seeing why that was the decision that this staff wanted to make with Cam. And for him to emerge and be that physical factor that you could visibly see. And not just Nebraska fans, but if you went and looked at the national attention that he received. Man, here comes Beef Jurgy. He is going to be... Hopefully the next Linderman that Iowa has where he's a center that people go, he's going to bring this whole line together. So I have faith in his leadership in the way that he plays and he's going to get out there and say, all right, the rest of you guys on this line, try and outplay me. Yeah, that's a He's a great example of this coaching staff identifying that talent very early on before anybody else could see it. And really before it was ever fully realized, they stuck with him through through those low points when everybody else was kind of calling for his head. And and now we're, we're starting to see some of the benefits that, that they're gaining from that. The offensive line did have moments where they they did come together and they did make some really great blocks and they looked good. Mm-hmm. It was so it was few and far between and we, and we fixate on the negative so much that we we miss it when they are doing what they're supposed to do. I think a lot of the frustration was less about the missed blocks and more about the penalties. That to me was the bigger frustration with the line where it's like just just wait to yeah. move. Like these are the little things that shouldn't be an issue anymore this is discipline and this is knowing your snap count that first drive was that first drive was a an example of fear of failure because that offensive line was they seemed scared they were jumping before the ball was snapped yeah you know they they were scared of the defensive line they were they were trying to get ahead of themselves and ahead of the defense and to me that speaks of fear of failure on their part so hopefully i don't hopefully we see that improvement in time what are some other thoughts you have on the offense 
Adrian Mar- Martinez played a hell of a game. Yeah. He was incredible. Sure. He escaped a lot of these blitzes. Like I said, those those numbers could have been a lot worse on, on him. He didn't turn the ball over except for that one crazy interception. Yeah, you mean that punt? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. He, and he's played like this, you know, ever since Illinois. Just protecting the ball, getting out of situations, really making up for a lot of the, the lack of the run game and uh, a lot of the mistakes that, that are, others are making. And he's made names out of a lot of our wide receivers. Yeah. You know, he's getting them the ball. I shouldn't say that he's made names because that, that takes away from what they're doing. Sure. But yeah, he had, he had one hell of a game. I was, really I'm impressed with him. And this is why I've, I've always been an apologist for Adrian Martinez is because he, he's a game winner. He's always had the talent that he was showing yesterday. He hasn't always had the discipline and the decisiveness that he showed yesterday. Yeah. And I think that was where it kind of all came together. Once he was disciplined, making smart decisions, feeling comfortable, even without a line that was protecting him most of the time or some of the time. And with, with Oklahoma scheming, they, they had a spy on him most of that game. Who couldn't really bring him down, which was great to see. Yeah, but they at least contained him. He, right. You know, he didn't, he never, when the plays kind of broke down, normally you would see him shoot up the middle in games in the past because it would just be open. But right. they had that linebacker there, Benito, who was able to contain him. And so... Oklahoma took away that element of Nebraska's offense, and, and and Martinez was still able to throw the ball on him. Yeah. I mean, you can really see the talent on this team. And I also think that with Vokalek back, our run game's going to improve when he starts to gel with that team because I think he was a huge piece of that with getting those blocks on the outside and opening up the perimeter. Mm-hmm. So I do expect the run game to improve over the next few games with Vokalek back in the starting lineup. That's what I have for the offense. We talked about offensive line play where it was – Decent at times, where it was sloppy at times. Adrian had a ball-out great game. But I also think it would be unfair if we don't talk about Ramir Johnson. Yeah. Frost really focuses on if the guy had a good week in practice, I'm going to reward him. I believe Ramir Johnson had a good week at practice. No kidding. He was getting some hard yards. They were not just wide-open runs. He was getting hit in that second half and barreling forward. Yeah, and you want to talk about, like, again, you know, walking the walk. That's hey if you if you have a good week in practice I'll play you. Oh by the way we're going up against the number three team on the road. Yeah. In a in a huge game. It's that Rem- faceless opponent mentality where it's like doesn't matter. Yeah. We're gonna go out there and give them our best shot. We don't care who's on the front of the jersey. We just care about the number and how we're gonna guard them. Yeah. And if I'm a player on Nebraska right now, I see that and I say okay, this week I'm I'm bringing it to practice because I want to play. I want to start. Yeah. I want to. And be I know these coaches will yeah they'll give me the out opportunity. Awesome. So. That was cool to see. He had one heck of a game, you know, and, and I think he had one like really good catch on a well-designed play out yeah. of the backfield. But like, like you said, picked up those tough yards. There's not a lot of room for those guys to run back there, and, and he made the most of it. So Overall, offense was looking really sharp, but you got to give credit to Oklahoma's defense. They schemed really well. They were able to get pressure on Adrian in key times and in crucial times. They were able to shut Adrian down. Adrian didn't make any stupid mistakes. Again, the interception – you, you take that's the second best outcome of that play the way that it mm-hmm. that it wound up yeah it was a great physical athletic play just swat it down yeah, right like or when you come to the ground drop the ball you know, if you know I, I don't know i don't play football so um <laughs> <laughs> so don't take it from me but <laughs> oh man all right <laughs> let's let's talk about defense let's talk about the defense all right tell me what you got so after Fordham, I thought, okay, show me a better opponent. After Buffalo, I thought, it might be a fluke. After Oklahoma, it ain't a fluke. 
Luke Reimer ain't a fluke. Heinrich ain't a fluke. Doman ain't a fluke. Nelson ain't a fluke. Daniels ain't a fluke. Stilly ain't a fluke. Robinson ain't a fluke. Our cornerbacks, our safeties, it ain't a fluke. This is a good defense, period. What do you think? Succinct. Yeah, I agree. That's, where, that's exactly where I, I was with them. I just wanted them to prove it against a quality opponent, and they did that. Yeah. So Not only that, but the coaching on the defense was very solid. Schematically, they knew how to take away Spencer Rattler. They knew how to keep the big plays. They kept everyone in front of them. They didn't let him go yard. They didn't let him, you know, 20-yard-plus chunk plays, anything like that. What I, what I like most about this defense is not only were they great, but they have certain things that they do need to work on, and I trust that they will. Yeah. They, this team seems to have the mentality of not, not good enough. Cool. You as fans enjoyed us shutting down Oklahoma's offense. Well, we lost. Not good enough. Right. And, and the defense, I think what they're going to focus on this week is going to be the third downs. Sure. That was one of the things that I, that I just noted throughout the game and then went back and looked at it afterwards. They were six for 11, Oklahoma was, converting third downs. And five of those six were five yards longer. Like, yeah. Nebraska's defense put Oklahoma in tough third down situations throughout the game and Oklahoma's offense answered. Right. And that cost us quite a bit. Every time, any, any drive that, that Oklahoma scored a touchdown, they had converted on third down. Even right away out of the gate on that first drive, mm-hmm. the defense had a lot of opportunities to get off the field, get the ball back in Nebraska's hands, which would have been huge, whether Nebraska scores or not. But to show Oklahoma we ain't here to fuck around, we're here to play some football. Yeah. And then, and then on that, the last drive, yeah. they couldn't get off the field. No. They let Oklahoma chew up that clock. They had to burn their timeouts. You know, they gave Nebraska's offense the ball back, but completely flipped the field. No time left. Mm. Didn't put them in a position to win. Right. Gave them a chance, but not a good chance. But, I, I mean, you can't put all of that on the defense itself. I'm not putting—no, yeah, and I'm not—that's what I'm saying. I'm not putting it on it, but I think they will take that upon themselves. Right. Which is what I think is good. Same They'll with take the, ownership. Yes. Whether it's their fault or not, they're taking full ownership. Yes, of the situation. same with the lack of turnovers, right? They got their hands on some balls. They probably should have had two or three interceptions. Yeah. If you look at turnover luck, they should have had at least one. Yeah. Minimum. And Reimer so, had an opportunity where he had one in his basket and Clark had one in his hands that they both yeah. could have been. Oklahoma's wide receivers made good plays on those to break mm-hmm. them up, but yeah. I think Braxton Clark's probably more so than, than Reimer's was probably should have been a done deal. Yeah. It was hilarious watching Braxton Clark up against that receiver. Just the height <laughs> difference. <laughs> Did Braxton Clark even jump? I don't. Yeah. He just, <laughs> but it was, it was the guy's helmet. That's how much taller he was is his helmet is what punched the ball out. Yeah. 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 It was insane. It was just funny. What, what I really enjoyed seeing was there was a situation where Oklahoma was backed up on first or second down where they had about 25 yards to go. And what I really liked about the defensive play calling was that they became more aggressive. They relied more on their secondary, on their cornerbacks and their safeties to cover the guys. And it actually wound up turning into a punt for Nebraska where Nebraska got the ball back. I liked seeing the defensive adjustments taking place play by play as opposed to how is our defense going to adjust after half? You felt like they had a game plan and then they situationally were prepared for each situation that arose in the game. And so shout out props to Chins for getting this team not only ready to shut down one of the best offenses in the country, but also be ready in every single situation to make sure that this team succeeded. You cannot point the finger at the defense and say they did not give Nebraska a chance to win, which is everything you can ask for your defense. Yeah, I'm going to use that as an opportunity then to transition into... MVP talk. Cool. Let's do because it. Because Coach Chins is my guy. The 
the stat I have to back that up is it goes 82, 45, 34, 31. That's the FPI's defensive efficiency rating each year that Shenander has been here. Just a huge jump and then just steady improvement. And the numbers are the same as what we're seeing. You know, sometimes numbers can be deceptive or vice versa, but we are seeing this constant progress and this defense just carrying this team in games. And like you said, just giving them a chance. That's all you can ask of for your defense in general, right? Just Absolutely. Give us a give us a chance to win a game. It's more just, hey, we're going to keep giving you the chance to stay in the game, and then when you guys figure it out, we're going to ball out together. Yeah, and that's a scary that's a scary um, world to live in because you're then you're constantly waiting for the defense to break in that bend but don't break you know yeah. philosophy. And so I always have that apprehension of like, dear God, like when is like the offense is not going to get it together this game. When's our defense going to just blow it? And they haven't been. Right. And that's been, it's, it's reassuring after the fact. During the game, it's very difficult to I'm watch. Gonna, I'm going to push back on you on that, saying when is the defense going to blow it? Mm-hmm. They have every right to give up a score here and there. So it's not so much when is the defense going to blow it. To me, I'm looking at it more as when is this offense going to emerge? When is the guy we brought in because he's an offensive genius going to get his pieces in place? We can see that there's steady growth from chins going year after year in that FPI strength. They're scoring, the amount of scoring they're allowing, they're only allowing 16.5 points a game right now, which is probably among some of the best Nebraska defenses and to be doing it you know, against opponents like Buffalo, like Oklahoma, that score points to be holding them, that's great. I think we, we have the same point of view, but the way that we want to express it differs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What's your, who's your MVP? So my MVP of the game, Boomy, if you will, is an Oklahoma player. Boo! If you will. It's Brooks Kennedy. His run game is what won Oklahoma the game. When Nebraska rendered Spencer Rattler inefficient, and took him out as the it factor for Oklahoma. Brooks Kennedy stepped up late in the first half, ran, helped them churn out 12, 14 play drives. And then late in the game, when Nebraska's defense needed to get a stop, he continued to pound yards and get them first downs without having to throw the ball. And so ultimately, the MVP of the game, even though he may not have monster numbers, even though it may not have been any flashy runs. He did enough to keep his game in it. And so as someone who comes from the Big Ten, as a Nebraska fan who grew up loving the Big 12 and has reverence for the Big 8 and the hard-earned yards on the ground, I have to give it to Brooks Kennedy because I think his singular effort is what helped Oklahoma win. Okay. I won't retract my boo. It remains. But I will say Oklahoma did do a great job of putting up with what Nebraska was willing to give them. Nebraska chose how the Oklahoma offense had to play the game to win. Mm-hmm. They dictated that, and Oklahoma won. They said, cool, like we're not going to be the explosive offense that's putting up 60 points this game. Fine, we're going to grind it out. We're going to go on those long drives, and they did that successfully. It wasn't pretty on their part, and I'm sure Oklahoma fans don't walk away feeling too great about it, but they did. Pretty early on, Oklahoma probably went, as long as we win this by one point, we win the game. Yeah. And they were dedicated to that. Just holding on. It was a grinder for both Mm -hmm. sides. And if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I actually feel good about that. It's kind of like when Nebraska and Michigan State played in Scott Frost's first year and Nebraska won nine to six. Like, yeah, it's not a pretty game, but to know my team can win it out in a slugfest. Yeah. Your team can adapt on the fly. Yeah. So Oklahoma fans should feel probably better than they are right now. No, they shouldn't. They should feel like (laughs) shit. 
team sucks. You almost lost to Tulane. <laughs> so that's our coverage on the Oklahoma game. Let's move into a second beer. How's that sound? That sounds so good. All right. So moving into our second beer from Max Creek, we are currently drinking Ant Ease Ale, which is a 4.2% ABV red ale. Now to learn, learn you a little something about red ales and American ambers, those are a beer style unique to the U.S. American ambers and red ales evolved from the American pale ale with an added emphasis on malty, buttery, caramel notes. The American amber and red ale as an official category is kind of a catch-all for anything south of a dark ale that's also not clearly a pale ale or a brown ale. Red ales tend to lean towards a hoppier, drier finish, while ambers gravitate towards a smooth, malty finish. So let's talk about what we have here, Drew. Do you think this is more of a red ale with that kind of dry finish or an amber with some of that uh, malty, caramely note? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the amber here. I was I just took a sip, and this tastes like the perfect pie crust. Like, it's not going to blow you away with sweetness, but it's going to hold up and it's going to be that favorite last bite. It's kind of got that weedy, crusty, like a good loaf of bread, but there's no mm-hmm. sourness to it. There's nothing like that. It's just, I love this beer. This is a really good beer. It is. It is really good. And one of the things that I like about Max so far, there's this, and this is a compliment. There's a sort of an unrefined quality to these beers. What you're tasting is, it's very natural. Yeah. You feel like you're getting stuff very directly. The hops from that IPA was very direct. The malts from this beer, very direct. Like you're getting this genuine sense of what those malts produce and what those hops produce. And I think that's really cool. And that's something that you don't get in in many beers. Yeah, there's no bells and whistles to this beer. It's very much by the book what the flavor profile is supposed to be. And that really sings. There's a reason these beers become popular. These styles become popular. I'm personally a huge fan of ambers and reds. I think they're a great sipping beer. They're a good change of pace from your wheat beer or your American pale ale when you're looking for just that casual sipper. I think it has just a little bit of maybe some spice or some malt or something like that. And this malt just comes through beautifully. It's like if you took a handful of grain or wheat and rubbed it together in your hands real quick and then took a big sniff from it. You get some of those woody notes, some of those bready notes some of those sugars coming through without it being too sweet. Everything's well balanced and you get a sense of the ingredients that are being used. Yeah. And that's the thing with, with an amber ale or, or styles like this is they can get a little carried away with, with those grains. Um, yeah. Their caramel and crystal malts can get overpowering. They can take away from the beer, but this one, like you said, it's very well balanced and, and pleasant to drink and it's just a good representation of the style. Yeah. What a, what a lovely beer and, and what a great, experience getting to test out Max Creek. I cannot, cannot, cannot recommend getting out to that space in Lexington and just kicking back and enjoying everything, walking the vineyard. Everything about it is just charming and quaint. And I was greeted wonderfully, even though they're like, why are you buying beer so early in the morning on a weekday? (laughs) They were a little bit concerned for your mental well-being. Yeah, a little bit. But but they still sold it. Absolutely. And all in all, it was just a really nice experience. So please make your way out to Lexington. If you're in the area, stop by Max Creek, grab a bottle of wine, grab some beers, and just enjoy yourself because they're putting great quality stuff out there. And they're making sure that the community feels welcome within their doors. All right, before we move on to Michigan State, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. 
The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry creates a $600 million economic impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. So it's time for our week three fourth game matchup. Try and follow along with the math by yourself against the Michigan State Spartans. That was a horrible segue, but well, let's, <laughs> let's... You said math and my brain just broke. You I just gave me it. a look of like, yeah. what the hell are you saying? Beer and math don't mix. So just the facts for Michigan State. Nebraska travels to East Lansing, Michigan to take on the Michigan State Spartans. Kickoff is scheduled for 6 p.m. on FS1 or Fox Sports 1 for those of you who hate abbreviations. Nebraska is led by head coach Scott Frost in his fourth season, currently sitting at 2-2 two and two after a heartbreaker against Oklahoma. Michigan State, led by head coach Mel Tucker in his second season, has a current record of 3-0 and after an impressive win against an unimpressively ranked Miami. The spread for this game is not currently available, but Drew, where are you feeling like this game should sit at? You know, I, my feelings on this game overall have not changed very much. Sure. My feelings towards Nebraska as a football team and Michigan State as a football team have changed a lot since I think we looked at them in July. Yeah. Back then, I called this sort of like a bellwether game for it was going to define Nebraska's conference season. Yeah. The Illinois loss took a different direction than we expected at the time, but I still think this is such a critical game defining Nebraska's season, especially looking forward to conference play. Yeah. Michigan State beat a quote-unquote top 25 team on the road and they're feeling really good about themselves. They're going to probably be carrying a ranking in this game. Yeah. Nebraska, I think, still has to be feeling pretty good about itself after the, the last three games. And so we're going to find out now how much of those, how much of those past three games have been a mirage and how much ha- we can hang our hat on moving forward. Sure. And that's, that's the thing I was kind of teasing looking forward to this game is Michigan State, to me, will be the tell-all. Right, We had the mm-hmm. Illinois game, we had Fordham, we had Buffalo, and we had Oklahoma. To me, that's not a large enough sample size to say, here's what this team is capable of. But against a team like Michigan State, if we can come off of the Oklahoma game, giving it our all without a hangover, if we come out and we're the same team that we have been, then I can say, this is who we are. And so I agree with you that I think this is really going to be an important game to defining who Nebraska is. If the defense can play with the same intensity, if the offense can continue to make forward steps, if Cam Jurgens continues to try and improve and lead that line, and Adrian continues to play the way he's capable of playing in the way that he's been playing, one of the things I forgot to say is if you think Adrian Martinez has been the problem, you're the problem. <laughs> That's true. I don't understand how anybody, how how can anybody be against this guy at this point? I don't get it. But. Not only has he been a leader on the field, but he has constantly been a solid leader off the field as well. He is the kind of person you want as the face of your program because he not only cares about the product on the field, but he cares about the community that he is playing for. I'm going to do a, a improvisational giveaway. 
If you think Adrian Martinez is not the right quarterback for Nebraska at this time, email me and tell me all the reasons why, include your address, and I will give every single response a flaming bag of shit on your doorstep. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about this Michigan State game. Drew, how are you feeling when it comes to everyone's favorite thing, special teams? Dead inside. Yeah. Yep. I got tired of looking at Nebraska's special teams stuff and trying to like dig up stats and, and whatever, just talking points, blah, blah, blah. So I looked at Michigan State, and, and their kicker, Coughlin, is two for five on the year for field goals, which yeah. isn't very good, right? Like, you know, you'd think they'd be not happy about that in East Lansing. But he's also 16 of 16 on PATs. Yeah. And that's because Michigan State, when they get down into the red zone, they punch it in they for score the touchdown. Touchdowns. Like, so they don't need a field goal kicker that's going to punch it through 100% of the time. Um, two of his misses have come on 50 plus yard field goals. Yeah. He, once he gets down inside that 30 yard range, he's, he's making them. So that was not reassuring. I thought maybe I could look at Michigan state. Here's what I will say though. That is reassuring. Mm -hmm. One of the frustrations that I have, and I've been very vocal about this is just take the goddamn touchback. And Coughlin's really good about putting the ball through the back of the end zone, which plays into Nebraska's favor. Forces him to take that. So I'm fine with that. Okay. If he's good from 30 yards, whatever, and his misses are from 50, I can live with that because field goal kickers tend to be good from the 35 in. And if he puts the ball through the back of the end zone and forces Nebraska to take touchbacks, I'm good with that as well. I think yeah. as a field goal kicker and uh, a kickoff specialist, Coughlin plays to Nebraska's advantage and doesn't really add the quote-unquote it factor. What I would look out for is their punt game. They have a guy in Bryce Beringer who has the ability to flip the field. So if we're forcing Michigan State to punt, that's a good thing. As long as we're getting the offense off the field, I'm happy with it. Fair enough. Let's move on. Okay. I'm tired of special teams. Okay. So what are what are your feelings on, let's talk about Michigan State's offense versus Nebraska's defense. Okay. I feel all over the place. Michigan State's offense has looked really good, but the defense of ours has also been the real deal. Yeah. That was something that you touched on earlier was this, the Oklahoma game was the prove it game and they they proved it. Yeah. So you expect this to be a strength on strength sort of matchup. The biggest question that I think Nebraska's defense needs to answer is whether or not they can slow down Kenneth Walker. Oh my God. Can we make him look like a walker instead of a runner? Yeah, that was clever. It was not that clever, but I said it anyway. I liked it. He Okay, good. He has, I'm worried about. He looks good. Yeah. When you watch them play, he's it's, the kind of running back where you're like, oh, I want him on my team. Yeah. The biggest question mark for me with Michigan State was whether or not this offensive line could um, live up to the experience that it had. Yeah. And it could come together. And I don't, I don't know if they have, and I have a stat. They haven't to, had to. To back that up. But yeah, so Kenneth Walker has been really good. He has averaged 8.6 yards per carry and he has had some monster runs to kind of boost that average but against Miami his stat line was 27 runs 172 yards 6.4 yards per carry with a long of only 26 only but that's but compared to his you know big 75 yard runs yeah he he's steady he's consistent they pound the rock with him he's a he's a true workhorse in the sense of the word sure so this you're is what take out his knees <laughs> <laughs> bring some lead pipes nebraska <laughs> no here's 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 a crazy thing to me so against northwestern he ran for 246 yards a mi- just a mind-blowing number even crazier is that 206 of those yards came after contact we were talking about perspective how do you view the nebraska oklahoma game how do you view that stat is kenneth walker just an insanely good running back or 
as this Michigan State offensive line failed to create space to run, and they've just been relying on Kenneth Walker to make yards after contact. You're not going to bring this guy down with your arm because he's going to run right through it. He's got enough speed and momentum. That's what scares me is he attacks the perimeter so fast and is able to get out there so quick and is just pumping his legs as hard as he possibly can. He looks like a hamster on a goddamn hamster wheel. <laughs> I'm serious. Like It's that motion blur where you're like, this guy, like a, a, a Xavier Betts, when he runs, you're like, oh, he's not that fast. And then you see him blaze past an Oklahoma yeah. defensive back. Walker, you go, good God, that guy's fast. Because <laughs> he is able to just use his athleticism to get to the perimeter and accelerate. That, to me, is what's most terrifying about playing Michigan State is he's very good regardless of how good the offensive line is playing. I think Michigan State has a very good running approach, and I think that Walker might be the best running back we've faced to date. The other thing that, that I think Kenneth Walker and this Michigan State offense have going for them is their quarterback play. Okay. And I think that the quarterback play is only as good as it is because of Kenneth Walker. So it's a bit of a, a back and forth there. But Thorne can be really hit or miss, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and going into the season, again, you were looking at their quarterback situation. You're thinking, God, these guys are going to throw so many interceptions. That's all they've done their entire career. Mm-hmm. Thorne has zero interceptions on the year. He's got nine touchdowns to zero interceptions. This is complementary football. This is a balanced offense. This is a passing game that counts on its running game to carry carry them. And then they, they just make you know the smart throws and, and win the day. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing for the defense is you got to just, I mean, you're right. We've got to shut down this run game and force them to throw the ball. Now, they do have some wide receivers that are going to earn paychecks at the next, next level. They've yeah. got uh, Reed, Mosley, and Naylor. Naylor, yeah. They've got three guys who can go out and make a play at any given time. Our secondary is going to be tested in this game against the kind of wide receivers that they have. But if you can shut that run game down and make Thorne into a passing quarterback, that's when I think we can take advantage of this team. Yeah, that's where it starts. Shut down, shut down Walker, force him to throw the ball, and we have a secondary that can handle this, this offense. We, we have a secondary that can handle this quarterback and these receivers. Like you said, it, it is a very complimentary and very balanced offense. So you got to take one of those things away, and Walker will just kick your ass if you don't take him out of the game. Yeah. I'm scared of, of that. I'm, I am too. I am scared of that aspect of the game. So let's move away from that. Let's talk about our offense. Sure. Tell me your feelies. So I feel like if we're going to be able to attack Michigan State's defense we're going to have to do that through the air and adrian showed that he has the arm and the accuracy and the touch to be effective there michigan state's always been known for having a stingy defensive line and their linebackers show really good perimeter speed they're really good at closing up the center of the the run game so you're going to have to beat them through the air against northwestern a team not known for being a passing game michigan state gave up 283 yards to the air so nebraska is going to have opportunities especially with guys like toure Manning, Betts, Allen, Volkolek, maybe Martin being back, Lewer, Falk, all these names that we know have great hands and are able to go up and make big plays against a secondary like an Oklahoma secondary. That's a great secondary. I think that's how Nebraska is going to make their points happen is you're just going to have to attack through the air. If the offensive line can power run and make a push, it's bonus points. Um, But this is going to come down, I think, to Adrian's arm and trying to establish that pass game while balancing it with the run as best they can. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I agree that Nebraska is going to have to be able to attack Michigan State through the air. And 
that's fine for Nebraska because we know that they can't run the ball. They're not going to sit here and pound it for, you know, four, five, six yards of carry. Miami against Michigan State had to do that same thing. They had to attack Michigan State through the air. And so Derek King, Miami's quarterback, he actually ended up setting single game records for Miami um, with 38 completed passes on 59 attempts, which is insane. He also only amassed seven yards on 12 carries. Ugh. So Michigan State was incredibly effective at keeping him from, from hurting them on the ground. And I think that, that they're going to probably try to do the same thing against Adrian Martinez. Watching Derek King against Michigan State, though, he did not look comfortable at all. He did not look decisive. He didn't pull the ball down and try and run or scramble or anything like that. He was keeping his eyes downfield, and it looked like he was trying to break a record. I was going to throw 60 passes today. (laughs) So I think that Adrian is a better quarterback than that and is going to make better decisions. And when he needs to pull the ball down, he'll do it, and he'll be able to scramble against Michigan State. I hope so. I'm more comfortable with, with Martinez in that situation. I think Michigan State probably can take a little bit away from Oklahoma's game plan. They have um, a guy in Quivarius Crouch in their linebacking core who can spy Adrian Martinez throughout the game and, and, again, just contain his run game. But I trust Martinez to make the smart throws. He has so many weapons across the board who are becoming healthier by the week. I, you know, I fully expect him. I don't think he's going to have nearly as many passes. I don't think Nebraska is going to have to rely on his arm that much, as much as Miami did. But... I think that this plays well into what Nebraska has faced already this season and what they've shown that they're capable of dealing with and still being successful. Yeah, and I think if Nebraska maybe turns to that power run they turned to at the beginning of the second half against Oklahoma, I think they might have success more against that than trying to get to the perimeter. To me, that's what jumps out on Michigan State is more of their boundary-to-boundary speed as opposed to what they have up the middle. So if we can get a good push, and if that offensive line can get juiced up about running a power run and say, hey, we're going to put the team on your back so that Adrian can open up through the air, I think that's where you can expose Michigan State altogether. Is Their linebacking speed is ferocious. Their, uh, their defensive line is strong. But I think Nebraska can make some hay with a quarterback run game, a, a run-read game, uh, and, and powering some up the middle, especially – after seeing Ramir Johnson, knowing what we have in Marquis Step, and seeing Savion Morrison put some hard yards in, I, I think that those guys are turning into more Big Ten running backs that, that are happy to have some contact. Yeah. So to me, this feels like a, a put-up-or-shut-up moment for Nebraska, that I feel like if Nebraska wins this, the sky's the limit. There's no one left on the schedule they can't beat or be competitive against. I'm excited. I'm excited for this game, not because I necessarily feel confident in a victory, but I'm just excited to see this team play against Michigan State. It is now time for this week's Sportsman Sip. Before we reveal our predictions, we'd like to raise a glass to our opponent and sample a beer local to their university. This week, we are drinking M43, a New England IPA from Old Nation Brewing Company in Williamston, Michigan, in honor of the Michigan State Spartans. M43 registers at 6.8% ABV and prominently features a combination of Calypso, Simcoe, Citra, and Amarillo hops. M43's hop bitterness is not particularly intense, which leads to a very drinkable New England IPA, even non-IPA fans love. The haze in this hazy is not from yeast, but rather from an interplay of lipids from the malted oat and oils and acids which naturally occur in the hand-selected dry hops. I knew exactly what you meant by lipids from malted oats, so long as there's no further questions on the matter. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's that's where uh, science comes into play with beer. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say real quick, this is one of the best hazy IPAs I've ever had. We say the word balanced a lot, mm-hmm. but it really knows what it's doing. Yeah. It's tropical. It's popping. It's smooth. It's tropical, but it's like, I can't put my finger on what kind of fruit I'm drinking. It's just this nice citrusy it's more of an emotion than a flavor yeah if that makes sense it's more of just like an overall like this to me defines tropical even though i can't be like well is that pineapple is that orange is that grapefruit is that what is that it's just creamy it's velvety it's at peace with itself and it just has this hint of it just like (laughs) really brings it to life yeah it to me it lives on the bottom of the tongue like it doesn't, yeah. nothing just sits on top and like weighs you down. After each drink, it's present, yeah. but it's not like. It's like a wave of the ocean sitting yeah. underneath a palm tree. Just in and out. I hope, I hope nobody's listening to this and then they like fall asleep at the wheel because we're like, it's just in and out at peace with your inner being. <laughs> so if you're traveling to the game and flying in through detroit old nation brewery in williamston is on your way into east lansing stop in and let them know you want to try a pint of m83 or any of their delicious beers and if the game doesn't go our way which it it will it will don't worry um they're also on the way out of town so cheers to old nation brewery and cheers to the spartans of michigan state cheers all right drew now it's time for our game predictions do you want to go first or second? I'm going to hit you with mine first. Okay. So your too early prediction had Nebraska winning 27 to 20. Okay. So let's hear your prediction now that we're in season. All right. Like I said, I did not I didn't go too far off of from where I was before. Twice in 3 games this year, Michigan State has scored a 75-yard touchdown on the very first play of the game. An impressive feat to say the least, but this week they are about to get a taste of their own medicine. Nebraska loses the coin toss and gets stuck with the ball to open the game. The opening kickoff sails through the end zone and Nebraska lines up to start the game on their own 25. Ramir Johnson stands at Martinez's hip, twin tight ends anchor the line, and Samori Torre goes into motion. The defense bites on the fake handoff to Johnson, and Martinez flips the ball to Xavier Betts on the end around. Just like that, the East Lansing crowd goes silent as they find their team in a 7-0 hole. But when Nebraska and Michigan State meet, they don't step into a circus ring with high-flying acts. This is a boxing ring, and these teams are going to trade punches. Michigan State finds success on the ground, but Nebraska's defense finds ways to kill drives before Sparty can so much as sniff the end zone. Halftime arrives with the Huskers leading 14-6. Husker fans might like to skip third quarter most games, and Saturday night is no different. Michigan State's offense continues to grind, punching holes in the defensive line and taking shots when available. They open the second half with a touchdown pass to Jalen Speedy Naylor. A Nebraska turnover leads to another touchdown, this one a short tote by Kenneth Walker. Mel Tucker goes for two and gets it, putting the Spartans up 21-14 headed into the fourth quarter. The last time Tucker faced the Cornhuskers, he was head coach of the Buffaloes, and the two teams combined for a whopping 38 points down the home stretch. Don't expect history to repeat itself. This slugfest continues with Nebraska finding Pater late, a six-yard Austin Allen snag on a corner route. 
With the teams knotted at 21 apiece and three minutes left on the board, Deontay Williams comes up with his third interception of the year, returning the ball to Spartan territory. Nebraska bleeds the clock and claws forward on some tough yards. Connor Culp writes a redemption story with a single swing of his leg. A 41-yarder as time expires and Culp goes from buried in the annals of Husker history to buried under his teammates in a Little League-esque dogpile. Nebraska pulls off its fifth road win of the Frost era, a 24-21 nail-biter. What I have done to myself more and more with this is I've made it more challenging to read game predictions after drinking <laughs> a lot of beer in a short amount of time. It's like a self-challenge. Yeah. And I'm failing so miserably. Yeah, so everyone out there listening, write one page of how you think this game's going to go, <laughs> slam back three beers in a short amount of time, and then try and read it on a microphone knowing that hundreds of people are listening to you as you speak. Yeah, no pressure. It's cool. <laughs> it's a lot of fun in the moment, but it's hard as hell. One of the things I want to point out from your prediction, yeah, when you talked about Michigan State scoring on 75-yard plays out of the gate, yep. they ran a flea flicker against Youngtown, <laughs> <laughs> against Youngstown <laughs> State to open the game, yeah. which is like... That is a pretty low blow. At that time, though, they didn't know who they were. They didn't know they were going to go in and, you know, roll against Miami. But they knew it was Youngstown State. <laughs> yeah. Mel Tucker's not afraid. He's He's got that, I don't give a shit who you are. We're going to do whatever it takes, and we're going to run up that score, and we're going to put up points on the board. So just be ready, because here it comes. Yeah. All right. All right. What's your prediction, Ben? Yeah. So uh, before the season started, I was at 31-23 Nebraska. Here's my prediction. A fucking bloodbath. Wow. The red wedding. Here we go. <laughs> Here we have two teams with reputations to maintain. Michigan State was written off this season and is clearly playing with a chip on their shoulder. Their undefeated record is still in their infancy, and Nebraska at 2-2 two and two might be the best team they've played up to this point. The Huskers looked impressive against a top-five team on a national stage for the first time since my children were born and will be out to prove it wasn't a fluke. Last week, neither team had anything to lose. This week, everything is on the line. Am I going to call my shot and describe specific plays? No, that's not a jab against Drew. That's just how this is playing out. <laughs> Am I going to predict a hard-fought slugfest where fans are just as exhausted as the players after the game? Yes. Nebraska's defense have held teams to an average of 16.5 points per game over the past four. Michigan State gives up just over 17. All it takes is one big play for this game to be blown wide open. Michigan State may have a stable of three studs at wide receiver and two bad men at running back. What they don't have is Adrian Martinez at quarterback. After a week where he looked better than the Heisman frontrunner, I'd put my money on Adrian. The Huskers upset the Spartans on their home field and returned the favor for Mel Tucker beating Nebraska in Lincoln when he was the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. 24-17 Nebraska. That's all I need to say. Boom. That's, that's how I feel. I mean, this is the game where Nebraska proves that it's not a fluke. I know I've said that like three times now, but you're, you're playing against an old rival in Oklahoma, so you're motivated to go out and show that you're worthwhile to show that leaving the Big 12 wasn't a mistake. There's a lot on the line, even though Nebraska was playing with nothing to lose. But when you come back into league play, this is where it really defines the kind of teams you're going to be put up against. And so if we can hold our own and get the win against a Michigan State team that's 3-0, and that's the hot team that everyone's saying, oh, they might wind up in the Big Ten championship because Ohio State ain't looking like shit right now. If Nebraska can pull off a win here, it'll be against a top 25 team. And after that, the sky's the limit. 
Yeah. And I think that I think Michigan State really defines this game for Nebraska, just based on the way that Michigan State has played and how they've impressed people. I think that last year they their record doesn't indicate how good of a team they were, and this year it, it finally does. These first three games, too, are a credit to Mel Tucker. When he got hired on after okay. only a year at Colorado, I was like, well, that's kind of a – is that is he really that good of a coach? I mean, that's kind of a surprising hire. But then you start to see, like, okay, no, he knows what he's doing. And this would be a good win, not only for the Nebraska players, but also for Nebraska's coaching staff. Yeah. All right. Before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season-long prize package, something we almost never forget to do, including a game used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should be. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with a score prediction of your very own. Remember, there's only one episode. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, there's only one episode left. We're done. This is it. This is it. Hope you hope you enjoyed it. We had a good run. It was almost fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered for our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the prize away. Just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. If you also want to enter into our one-week giveaway, include what piece of Husker gear you'd buy with a $20 gift card to Husker Hounds. Well, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Max Creek Winery and Brewery by visiting maxcreek.com if you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation tune in next week as we relax while sipping beer from lazy horse in ohio nebraska react to the michigan state game and preview northwestern thanks for listening and as always drink big red drink big red